will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord, forever His truth shall reign. Heaven and earth, Lord, in His holy name, He is exalted, the King.
offerings. Steve will read to us about the first Noel. <clears throat> the first Noel relates the first part of the story of the angels and the shepherds from Luke 2, 8 through 11. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Father in heaven, we just thank you for that first Noel and for the wonderful blessing that we have in our lives and the richness we have because of what Christ has done. We just pray, Lord, as these folks give their gifts in gratitude for all that you've done, we thank you, Lord, for the gift that you gave that is beyond compare. And we just thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day, for the many blessings that you've given to us, and for the opportunities that we have to fellowship. We thank you for this time and this Christmas season where we celebrate your coming to earth as a man incarnate, leaving heaven, the glory to come to us, and what a wonderful blessing it is that we now, because of what you've done, we can come to you. 
We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the many blessings you've given to us, and we lift up especially our country. You know the challenges that we have. We know you know the people that are running it. And I ask you, Father God, that you work in their lives to change their minds and hearts to do what this country was to be put on and the foundation, that it was a country that was be led under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And that they truly believe that, Lord, and they don't leave you out of the picture. I pray also too, Father God, for our military and for those who are working so diligently to keep us safe. From cybersecurity to physical invasion, Lord, we thank you for those people who put their lives on the line every day. And for those in our streets who protect us from some of the problems that we have in a society that's fallen and under sin. We ask you, Father God, especially, too, to be with those who we love in our congregation, who we know that are struggling. Uh, I think of uh, Lucille and for Evelyn and for Bill and for Karen and Kay and Joyce. All these who are shut in that would love to come to church but can't because they're struggling with health issues and with their uh, lives and their, their bodies um, falling apart, Lord. I just pray that you'll be with them and give them comfort and strength as we pray for them and as they hear and listen to the message, Lord, or the airways. I pray also, too, Father God, for our friend Larry um, as we passed him this morning in the lobby. For his dad now, Lord, who's um, going to have to be put into a home, I pray that you'll be with Larry in that adjustment and, and that, uh, Lord, you'll be with him during that time. And that also you'll be with his sister who has some severe problems in her health and is also in the hospital. I pray for both of them for their healing. I pray also too, Father God, for a friend um, that um, found out she had cancer this week. I just pray for her and her husband as they go through it. And I pray, especially, Lord, that you'll bring healing to her body. For also a little girl by the name of Samantha who also has cancer in her brain. We pray for her healing. I pray also, too, Father God, for Nick and for Marie and for also for uh, Lord John and Sarah. I pray also for my granddaughter and for thank you for the uh, fall, but also, too, that she's doing well and healing, but also, too, Lord, that you hail them of the COVID and for other families that are going through respiratory or health problem or RSV, as a friend of mine just told me about a friend of his that's got RSV, we pray for their healing also. And Father, we also pray for those who battle drug addiction. They're always constantly on our mind. We pray for the young people of our generation that this fentanyl has just gotten out of control. And there are lives that are still dying every day in our streets and in our homes because of it, Lord. I pray especially for those who battle addictions. I think of Ryan and Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch. And for a family this week that um, had a loss of a child through suicide. Lord, just lift them and give them strength. Protect our children, Jesus. Help us as we try to guide them and, and give them the learning that they need, Jesus. That they will truly receive your instruction and take to heart the joy they can have in you and not need to reach out to drugs and alcohol, Lord. And we pray for those who are traveling during this holiday season, that you give protection and care for them, Lord. That, um, that they'll have safety and for also the many parties 
that go on in celebration, Father. And we just pray, Father, especially, too, about the problem we have in our culture with uh, drunk driving and high driving, Lord. I just pray that you'll protect our people from any of that. And now, Father, we pray for your word as you open it up to us. Help us to hear it, to understand it, consume it, Lord, and let it consume us so that we can have the joy that you brought to our world. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. The question, what if, has always been presented in our culture. What if has often been wondering what? If not anything, if it's true, back in the first century when Jesus rose from the dead, there was an Easter's conspiracy by the chief priests and the Pharisees trying to cover up that Jesus had actually risen from the dead and that he had raised to new life. But we see that the scriptures speak to us very strongly this past two weeks as Paul is dealing with a people for decades and for centuries, our society has tried to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There have been people even in our generation who've tried to claim that Christ had not risen from the dead. And yet, as we heard last week, that the gospel means that Jesus died and that he rose again according to the scriptures. We see here today what a difference it makes. A man by the name of Tar Thomas Madden tried to explain a way that it was just sensationalist fantasy that Jesus rose from the dead. But in fact, 2,000 years ago, the fact still remains. Paul was ministering to these Corinthians, and we know that they had many problems. One of the problems was an immoral problem. They had all these difficulties, especially with Aphrodite's temple in their city. They were struggling with their own immorality. And they were struggling with marriage. And Paul speaks to them in this great book of the First Corinthians. That's his second book that he sent to these people. Then we also know they struggled with immaturity. Because they fought even at the feast. And they kept their own food to themselves. And they were very selfish with it. They also believed that they had the, the person who was the celebrity preacher that was their favorite. And they also were given the gifts of the Holy Spirit by the Lord, and yet they used them for their own egos and not for the betterment of the church. Paul spoke to all these. But then the third eye, we had immorality, immaturity, and now immortality. And Paul is dealing with them today about immortality. And the reason was is because the philosophies of that day, as we talked about last week, were of such that they didn't believe that there was life after death. There were a bunch of hedonists who believed that this is all that we have, and you might as well live it up, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you don't have. So live it up and take care of yourself. Then there was also another philosophy floating around called pantheism. That doesn't matter what you do, that God is all in all, and that what you will have is that when you die, you just go back into the plane of God. There's no judgment, no standing as far as what you're going to have to answer to, so live it up. And then there's also the Platonist, and that, excuse me, Plato was also there. And what Plato had was the philosophy that the body 
doesn't matter what happens with it. It's mostly, mostly um, Gnosticism. And Plato said, but your soul will live on. And your soul is pure and everything will be fine with it. And so Paul comes to these philosophies and says, forget it. It's not true. And he says, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Christ died. He rose again according to the scriptures. And we will live and meet our maker again. And we will be judged. And we will have to face for what we've done. And so... As we saw, Paul last week then spoke about how he knew and how we can know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually is in fact, and that's what we are, a Christian faith is a factual faith. It's a historical faith that's anchored in history. It's not some philosophies with platitudes, but it's an actual historical faith that on the third day he rose again from the dead. That he suffered under a man by the name of Pontius Pilate, who was a historical character. All that was put in the Apostles' Creed so people would realize that this is just not made up story. But this is historical. And then he says to them, you, last week we talked about it. You can see the proof of it by the change in who you are. Look at the change that happened in me. I was a persecutor of the church. I hated the church. I even sat at Stephen's death and affirmed it. And he said, all that was changed when I met the resurrected Savior on my way to Damascus. That was changed. And, and we see the proof of that in my life and the lives of all of you who've been changed. And then he says, though, that also that Jesus Christ, he died and rose again according to the scriptures. And what he's saying is that all the prophets in all the history over hundreds of years, thousands of years predicted that Jesus would come, the Savior, the Messiah would come, and that he would die, and that he would rise again from the dead according to scriptures. Listen to what he says in verses 3 and 4. For I deliver unto you first importance, the most important thing about this Christian faith is, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. He adds the theological component, according to the scriptures. And then in verse 4, he said, and he was buried that means he was in a tomb rotting for 36 hours. And that he rose again, again, according to the scriptures. These were prophetic utterances that came and were fulfilled in historical fashion with Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, he says, why well, he induced himself and he came and spoke to people. He had appearances to people all over, hundreds and that he spoke even to a 500 group of people that he appeared to. But also to us individuals. Some of us even put our hands in his side and put their finger in his hands. And he showed himself to me also down the road. And that I saw him. And that all these people saw him. These were not figments of imagination or hallucinations. These were actual reality experiences with the risen Jesus Christ. But now Paul, speaking to these people who are struggling and that are very confused about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about the bodily resurrection of Christ, because they didn't learn this. They didn't know this when they were growing up. They had not been trained in and This is a whole new idea to them. And so then he says to them and he uses and he becomes really the devil's advocate. And he plays on them. And he says to them, let's play this game. What if? And he starts with, 
Now, if Christ is preached and that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. Moreover, if even we found to be false witnesses of God, because we testify against God and that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Paul says here right off the bat, he pulls no punches. And he says, if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, then our preaching is foolishness. It's in vain. It means nothing, nada, zippo, zero. And that all those who have started churches and have preached the gospel, all those who have gone to school and spent thousands of dollars to learn theology and Greek and Hebrew, all that means nothing. And he puts it in their faces, the Corinthians. And he wants them to know this is what you're saying, that all those in history have been wrong. And those who saw the risen Lord were wrong. And that those prophecies were wrong. That really we should maybe look at Hinduism or Buddhism and go to their shrines because they have some moral platitudes. Yes, Christianity has its moral platitudes too. But we're saying that it's history and that things happen for a purpose and change the world and change our reality. Maybe we should go to Medina with the Islam people and bow at their shrine every year. At least it makes us feel good that maybe this was all false. That maybe Jesus was really a liar or he was a con man. Or maybe Jesus was self-deluded himself. If we say that Christ did not raise from the dead, this is what we're looking at. Why even be called Christians? Why even want to be a Christian? That our preaching is in vain. That our faith, what we put our faith in is emptiness. Back 1940, Billy Graham and a guy by the name of Templeton were working as Christians throughout the Christian camps, Youth for Christ. They were promoted as two of the greatest speakers in the world in evangelism. In fact, Templeton was even greater, they thought, than Billy Graham. And that World War II, after that happened, and he began to think, and then you had the liberal theologians feed Templeton these false claims of Christianity, that it doesn't matter whether Jesus rose from the dead, but it's all in your mind. He bought into it and found himself discouraged and denying the faith. Whereas we know what happened with Billy Graham. He wound up being kind of like the Johnny Carson Templeton did of Canada for a while on their TV circuits. He even published a novel that said that, that he didn't really raise from the dead. 
Lee Strobel, after all this years later in, in the now 2000 era, went to him and spoke with him. And he said he had so much regret in his life, but he still was skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you see, if Christ is not raised and you don't believe that, and if it in fact did not happen, and you're preaching it, it's pointless. And Paul says, if there's no resurrection, then all this work and all the books that have been written, all this other stuff means nothing. It would be as if you're the little boy in the plane with another man. And the plane is going down. And you grab the pack, believing it to be a parachute. And you jump out the plane and realize it's just a knapsack. And the parachute was left in the plane. Your faith is in nothing. And the Apostle Paul says this. He wants them to really look at this historical fact of Jesus. And his resurrection. And that faith... The object we put our faith in, which is Jesus Christ and his doing the resurrection, is faulty. He failed. And Paul is putting it right at him. And he says, for the dead are not raised. Then not even Christ was raised. We can't say that. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is worthless. And you are still in your sins. There's no forgiveness of sins. And then those who also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That your loved ones that you hope will, will see them again in heaven. It's all meaningless. It was just a bag of air that we believed in. If Christ is not raised from the dead. There are people in our churches who don't believe that Jesus actually historically rose from the dead. And there is no hope for them. But here, Paul speaks. And Paul speaks very strongly. In verse 6, 6 17, he says, And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if Christ did not raise from the dead. His substitutionary atonement did not take away your sins. You're still in your sin. You're going to have to pay for that if there's a judgment day. And that Jesus, when he was on the cross and said, it is finished. I took care of it. I substitute for you. I've washed your sin away. It's still there. And that his sacrifice meant nothing. And the Bible here speaks to us that those who have perished in Christ, it's very sad, but there's nothing for them. Nothing for our loved ones. And he goes on to push it further. No payment for sin. No defeat in your life, no, no victory over Satan and Christ being defeated. And Paul says, there's no hope. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. He's saying to us, if you hoped in Christ and he has not risen from the dead, 
then people should really feel sorry for you. Because you've got nothing to stand on. And that your hope is in vain. And that temptation can easily grip you. And that when you get persecution, why even go through it? Because it's not worth it. Because there's nothing there. You're to be pitied. And considered foolish. And if Christ didn't raise, the dead will not be raised. It's invalid. Our preaching, our prayers. We're not saved. Missionaries, why send them? Everything is wrong. And you don't have them in your heart. And you're only playing this religious fantasy. But after Paul works over this list of six hypothetical ifs, he puts the brakes on. And powerfully says in the Greek, but now. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death and by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. And after that, those who are in Christ at his coming. Here the Apostle Paul says, but now. You want the facts here? You want the truth? He rose from the grave. He triumphed over his foes as we sing. He has got victor over the dark domain in our lives. He lives forever and we shall reign with him. But the fact is that Christ raised from the dead. And the word in the Greek there is a perfect, and, and it, it speaks about, it's an event that happens here in historical time and continues to go on into our lives and make its effect for eternity, never to end. And that he was the first fruits, and he's using this imagery of the Jews who when they brought their crops in, they took the first fruits and dedicated it to the Lord. And then everything else was going and for their favor. And here he's saying Jesus Christ died and he was the rose again. And he's the first fruits of the rest of the harvest of our own souls and lives for healing of the nations and living forever. And that Christ will lead us overcoming death and darkness. And that we will be raised and that we are now living proof that Jesus is alive and he rose from the dead. And that when you, be, when, when you die and you come and he raises you from the dead like he did with Christ. We're going to be immortal. Incorruptible. Perfect. Complete. Glorified. Free of sickness. Free of death. Free of sin. Free of frailty. All that and more. Has gone out the window because Christ has raised us from the dead. Because He raised from the dead as the first fruit, as the leader that leads us now into a whole new dimension with God. 
and that we will see him again. And that our preaching has purpose. That our faith has forgiveness. And it has hope and deliverance and significance. The first fruits of those who are fallen asleep will rise and experience eternal life. And then he talks about Adam. What did Adam bring to this earth? Adam brought death. In Jesus Christ, we know that we are never going to be separated from the love of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. Death, nor sickness, or dying. Anything will separate us from that love. And that what we find here, the Apostle Paul now. Says Adam brought a whole new experience into the world when he defied the Father. And that we all die. That we die not only spiritually, but we die physically. And that because Christ died and was buried and rose again, we shall also live. And that when his coming comes, he will raise us on the last day. And that we will be his forever. And that he will do away with all this stuff. The pain, the suffering, the frailty, all that is going to be gone. And that he comes to lead us into this wonderful joy with the Father. And he speaks powerfully at it. And there's a phrase in here that's a very tricky phrase in the scriptures. Some have wrestled with this for hours and years. The meaning of it. But we know for certain that when Christ raises, he raises us into glory. Into the joy of the Father. And so Paul then moves it. He said Adam brought death into the culture. Adam brought death and disease and sickness. Yesterday I spent time with a woman who totally was knocked for a loop. Thinking that her bronchitis was healing up. And here she found out she was full of cancer. She noticed her eyes were giving her problems. And here the eyes were because the cancer had moved from her lungs to her head. And the hope that we could have in Jesus we gave to her yesterday. You see, this is what Paul speaking about. But... But in fact, Christ has risen from the dead. And he's given us life eternal. And that we shall live forever with him. And that we look to Christ to do this. And then he speaks about, even in the present, after we die, we're in the presence of Jesus. And when Christ will come back, he'll resurrect the bodies of the saints who have died. One of the troubling factors they were dealing in this society was, how is it that my loved one died and Christ has not returned? Will I ever see them again? And we know that Paul in Thessalonians deals with that. And he says to them, yes, brothers and sisters, that even though they've died, they died in Jesus. And right now, as he talked about in Philippians, that they're in the presence of the Lord. And that when... Christ comes back. They will be raised. 
to new glorified body. And they will come out of the ground first. And if we're here around, we're going to join them as Christians. He says, we've got to wait for that. And that we will see them again. And that we'll enjoy one another. And he's going to talk about later on the aspects of what our bodies are going to look like in this resurrected form. And what's going to happen to us those minutes after we die. And then he says to us, then the end comes. And when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. When he's abolished all the rule and all the authority and all the power. For he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. That's what's going on right now. And the last enemy will be abolished. What's the last enemy? You know it. For he has put all things into subject under his feet. And but when he says all things will be put under subject, it is not evident that he is accepted who put all things under his subjection. And when all things are subject to him, when the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. The last enemy, death, is put away. When Christ returns, he will sit and make a new kingdom, abolishing all the rulers and all the authorities and all this earth that all these men proudly say that their leaders and rulers will be put under his feet and will be destroyed. And the last enemy, which is death, that came with Adam and Eve now will be put to death and abolished forever. And then Christ will come and put everything in order for the Father. And then it says here, and the incarnate Savior is saying that he is put under subjection to the Father and reunited with the Trinity and that he reigns with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together. And that everything will be all and all. The triune God will be in control and we will have life and peace and eternal joy forever and ever. And that we'll have bodies, these new bodies. And that we'll be having a new life with the Father, with all the other stuff. You know, sometimes we go to these Christmas gatherings or Thanksgiving gatherings and some people don't want to sit in a room with an uncle or an aunt or somebody else. And we know why. We can't stand them. Guess what? That'll be done away with. Even that Christian uncle that you have, that's a very annoying person, will no longer be annoying to you. He'll be redeemed. We'll even enjoy being with him at that point. But in the meantime, he needs to be put under the authority of the Savior. Paul is saying here, all this will be subject unto God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a tricky phrase because some people say, well, isn't the Son just subjecting himself to the Father and that he really is not truly God? No, that's not what it's saying here. It's saying he as the one who came here and suffered on this earth and died and rose again as he was incarnate. He subjected himself unto the Father's rules and did that. But now everything has been subjected and now he is God and God with the Father. And they are ruling and all will be God in God. 
and that they understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ impact is so phenomenal. It's beyond just this life. It's beyond just dying and going to heaven. But it's subjecting death and absolving it. And all that would belong that came with Adam now is gone. And that eternal life is ours for sure, forever. And that we understand this. That this resurrection and the impact of the resurrection is not like liberals will say. Why, it's just a disciple's change of mind and thinking. No. As we say, that Jesus died and rose again according to the scriptures historically and has made an impact for eternity. That's why we have hope. Not because of some mind change. And that we understand that Christianity, I know there are some people who go to church and think, well, it's just a good religion to help you with your family. No, it's more than that. It has eternal impact on us as we die and are conquered death through Christ and that we live forever and are raised in our own bodies and that is forever. Sometimes Christians we hear things and we don't always understand the full impact. I know some Christians who are not sure they believe that Christ actually rose from the dead. It's tragic because they don't understand the truth of the gospel. But boy, when we do, when we grasp this, we don't fear death. Not only for our lives, but for our loved ones. And we have a great hope that we'll see them again. And we'll recognize them. And we'll be able to commune with them. With Christ. This is what Paul is saying. And it's all subject unto God. Sometimes it's hard for people to resonate with this. The other day when I was sitting in my study, I read this story that I think, I hope, lays the framework in your own life of the historical reality of Jesus' resurrection. Because I know the people in the story it did. There was a little boy by the name of Philip who was in the third grade Sunday school class with his teacher in Florida. He really didn't fit in with the eight-year-olds because he had Down syndrome. And as you know, children at that age can be very cruel. and be very hurtful. And Philip was no exception. And on Easter Sunday, the teacher came with an assignment. She said, kids, and she brought these legs, pantyhose containers of a egg. And they were large. And she gave them an assignment and gave them 10 minutes to go outside their classroom and into the churchyard 
and put in their egg what they figured and what they thought the symbol of new life meant. Each kid took their little container. They picked up their little symbols and they came back in. When they got around the classroom, she sat them around and she began to open one egg at a time. One little girl found a, a dead butterfly. Another put a little stick in it. Another child found a leaf. And then they got to the one and she opened it and there was nothing in it. And the children kapoffed about it. Oh, how stupid. That's not fair. Somebody didn't do their assignment. Finally, little Phillips, he spoke up. That's mine. Philip, one little boy, said, you never do anything right. Another student says, empty-headed, like that egg. And Philip retorted, I did do the assignment. I did do it. It's empty because the tomb is empty. Because Jesus is not there. Silence over the class. And each member was struck that he was right. That Christ's tomb was empty and made the world of difference. Two months later, little Philip got an infection and couldn't fight the infection. And Philip died. And at his funeral, his third grade class full of eight-year-olds went up to the tomb, up to the coffin, and put in their empty eggshells, symbolizing that Philip is going to be risen, made perfect when his Lord returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That not only did you come to this earth, of which we celebrate your advent, but that you came for the specific purpose of dying, of being buried, and raising again. So that, Father God, we can have life eternal. And that not only will we be in your presence, but we will have bodies. And that you all did this out of your love. And that someday all the craziness of this world will be done with. And all will be well. And a new heaven and a new earth we will be able to enjoy and rejoice in. Because of that act that you took to come 
to die, to be buried and raised again. Lord, today we give you thanks. And as we come to you with thanks, we come with thanksgiving in our hearts right now as we receive the Lord's Supper, celebrating the future hope that we have in you. And it's through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Dearly beloved, as we receive the sacraments of this Lord's Supper, it's for our comfort. But to take some time and examine our hearts whether we believe that Jesus' faithful promise that all our sins are forgiven because of the passion and death of Christ and he's raising again. And that we're thankful to God for sending him. And that we want to live in love and peace with our neighbors. For all those who are thus minded, God will certainly receive in mercy. And count us worthy of partaking of this table of his son. We're also to consider that in the instituting of this Holy Supper, our Lord Jesus gave us this remembrance and a pledge of his hearty love and faithfulness toward us. Doubt not that Christ himself will certainly feed and nourish our souls into everlasting life. With his crucified and his shed blood, as the bread is broken and the cup is given and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. Come, for all things are now ready. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the body that was broken on the cross for us. Amen. In like manner also, Jesus took the cup. And when they had supped, he said, Take, drink ye all of it in remembrance of me.
remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed as our substitution for our sins and washed them away. Oh, Father, how blessed we are that nothing in this world can ever separate us from your love. We give you praise for sending your son to sacrifice for us. We owe you everything in our lives and everything we are. And we now give it to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let us stand for our benediction. In closing, singing our closing song. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the wonderful love of God that sent a Savior into the world to save us and gave us the Holy Spirit now communes in us, give you peace both now and forever. Amen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son to die on Calvary, from sin to set us free. Someday he's coming back, what glory that will be, wonderful his love to me.